The Song Confessional podcast contains mature themes in adult language. Put your children to sleep. This is Walker Lukens, and you are listening to the fifth episode of Let me explain to you what we do here in the Song Confessional. So we travel around the country in our little blue camper trailer. We record people telling us stories anonymously. We call these confessions, right? So then we give our favorite confessions to songwriters and bands who turn your stories into all original songs. Each episode, you'll hear one of our favorite stories, a song it inspired, and an interview with the people who wrote it. I'm sitting here with my New Year's resolution. Tell them your name. What's up? I'm Zach Catanzaro. What artists are we going to hear from this week? First of the year, we've got Sun June right here out of Austin, Texas. Speaking of years, that's the name of their last LP released uh, two years ago, 2018. Wow, yeah, it's two years ago now. Yeah. Because it's 2020. Get your shit together, It was really hard to do that math. (laughs) It's 2020. It's our 2020 experience, so it's time to see yourself clearly. Mm -hmm. Shave off six things off your New Year's resolution list (laughs) and add some special time with the record years by Sun June. They call themselves regret pop, but what do, what do we call it? We like to go with lean pop because it, it feels a little slow, like you've uh, you know, played your favorite pop song and then dialed it back with a little bit of syrup. Yeah, and for those of you whose parents um, uh, like gave you a curfew or gave a shit what you did in high school, lean is coding. That means you're sipping on coding. Now, if you've never done that, please, God, do not start now because... <laughs> if you've never done that... Grow up in Houston in the 90s. Thank you. Uh, I've done that before I could drive, man. It's really, really unsafe. <laughs> I would not wish that on anyone's children, which is very appropriate. It is. It is. For our confession today. It is. Uh, fear of children driving on codeine. Top of the list. I thought it was just going to be fear of children, period. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's more fear for children than fear of children, but... But fear of children is... Is there a difference? Not for me. Yeah. No. Yeah. This week, our confession deals with children mm-hmm. and fear for your children. And just uh, as our confessor puts it, the terror of love. So without further ado, here is our confession. Confession. So I heard them explaining the project. So, you know, you can kind of just come in here, say whatever you want. I always tell people, just imagine you're talking to like... A stranger at a bar and they know nothing about you oh okay cool if that makes that's sense. A, that's a good way to do it yeah it, it's better instructions than like imagine you're talking to a, a priest no yeah <laughs> de- definitely not i have no judgment and definitely no uh advice so okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> well um you know i was thinking about what to talk about and there are and i figured i'd just use this as a way to process something that's kind of like on my mind right now and it kind of st- starts with a story like one of probably the first time as a parent that I ever truly truly freaked out so I had my kids pretty late in life I had my first child when I was 31 mm-hmm. and um, I had been a touring musician for a number of years I'd been traveling with this band um, for five years and when I had my kid, 
I didn't stop touring when I had my first baby. And I actually went back out on the road six weeks after she was born. Which looking back on it is like That's crazy yeah. because a six week old baby can't even hold up their head. And so like to drive all around the United States of America um, in a sprinter van with like a little baby who's not even capable, like it has no, like has no way of even like taking care of themselves at all, you know, is when I look back on it, it, it just seems crazy. We always brought people with us to look after the babies because we were, we would both be on stage. So when our first baby was about, I'm going to say between six and nine months old, um, we usually would just follow the same tour as the band, but the band had a, a kind of a crazy routing thing where the band traveled to the East Coast, like Vermont area, but then they had gotten a gig, like a private party that paid a lot of money in Colorado. So the band was flying out from the East Coast, going, flying into Denver, driving to this gig, playing the gig and driving back. And we thought, that that just seemed like too much to do with a baby. And so we devised this kind of cockamamie scheme. We put our babysitter at the time and the baby up in a hotel room. And then we flew and met the band in Denver and then we all went up to play this gig. And so it was the first time that I had left my baby with someone who was not my parents for more than like two hours. So we flew out and we were all getting ready for the gig and I got this text from the babysitter and it said, the baby fell off the bed and hit her head. Oof. And so hotel room beds tend to be pretty high off the ground. And when, and I guess she must've been about nine months old so she could move by herself and our, and I remember being super, super, super careful about making sure that the baby didn't fall off the bed. Like you would let her crawl around there, but you would always kind of like try to, you know, keep an eye on her because hotel beds are like kind of a far way off the ground. Um, and so our babysitter, you know, she had, as, as with happens with kids, she had put the baby on the bed and she didn't think anything could go wrong and she had probably just looked away or looked at her phone or some or maybe she needed to go to the bathroom and the baby had fallen off the bed and there I was you know thousands of miles away from my child and my I mean my heart just sank because I didn't know what to do and I didn't know what to I mean I was a new parent I didn't know what to tell the babysitter I didn't know what to do I mean my first instinct was to like you know, bag the gig, ride back, get on a plane, get to my baby. But that wasn't possible, you know, like yeah, yeah. I basically had to just like sit there with this feeling. So that, so that was like the first, my first insight into the, the terror of deep, deep love. Right. So yeah, you kind of have a sense of it when you, when you get pregnant, you kind of have a sense of it when you have a baby. But there is this kind of, it's another level of 
terror at the thought of something happening to someone else who's not you. It's a thing that would, you know, you just kind of understand on a core level. And my husband and I talk about this, like, I love my husband, he's great. If something were to happen to him, I would be completely devastated. But he's lived like a full life and he's an adult and these things happen, you know? I, th- I don't think it would break me, mm-hmm. but if something were to happen to one of my kids, I'm pretty sure it would just shatter me. And I'm not sure that there would be, I'm not sure how you, how you put that back together. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of when you really start to understand that the trade-off of, of what love is, of what that kind of love is, right? So it, it doesn't, that love, that deep, deep love is just the flip side of a, of this potential terror, terror, you know? Um, and, and I, and I know that I'm thinking about that particular incident and that story to tell because this weekend, my husband is, uh, he's still tourist and he's, taking them with him because they used to, we traveled for five years with our kids on the road and they, um, they kind of miss it. Like I don't miss it (laughs) at all, (laughs) but you know, there's some for them, like they staying in hotel rooms is fun and getting to eat fruit loops at the, at the buffet is really fun. And, you know, getting to have adventures is fun. Um, so they had been asking for a while, like, when are we going to, when are we gonna go on tour again? When are we gonna get to stay in hotel rooms? And he saw this, he saw this opportunity, but I, I couldn't go because now I like have a real job with where I have to actually be there and to have, uh, yeah. I, and so I decided not to go with them. And so I'm about to go through like the next four days without my, without my husband, which I'm used to because he still tours, but also without my kids. And it's funny, it's like, it's not the first time I've been away from my kids for this long. I mean, I've gone away for conferences or like I went on a trip with my sister, but for some reason being in Austin without my kids, it has ignited that deep, deep fear. Like the fear that something will happen and I won't be with them. And I am really, really kind of like, I'm really interested to know why this situation um, triggers that. I think because when I got off the road, I made this choice to kind of be with them in Austin. Mm -hmm. And since then, I've never really been here without them. Well, I wonder if also, I mean, it's not even just that you're just in Austin, but you're you're alone with the reality too that one day your kids are going to make choices that take them far away from you <sighs> where you can't protect them. You know, they choose, they're choosing. I am definitely of the helicopter parent generation and I am definitely like a helicopter parent. I mm-hmm. I hate to admit it. I'd like to be much cooler than that, but <laughs> I, 
we had I had this moment the other day. We were all lying in bed and they were singing uh, "Fix You" by Coldplay, which they just <laughs> discovered. Which I've never been a Coldplay fan, but oh my god, having an eight-year-old and a ten-year-old sing those lyrics to you. Wow. It's like yeah. I was lying on my bed sobbing with my arms around my kids and I just had this flash of like, oh my God, they're going to leave someday. They're yeah. going to go out into this world and the only thing that I will be for them is like a safe harbor should something go wrong. I mean, I think when I was, when I conceived of being a parent, it seemed like that, that terror would end at maybe 18 or something. Mm -hmm but I think you just, you just live your whole life with it, you know? Production Notes. Hi, this is Jim Eno. I've had a lot of coffee today. Hi, Walker. Hey, Jim, how you doing? Good, what's the name of the song we're about to hear? The song is called Terrified. Who produced it? Curtis Rausch. How would people know Kurt besides being an actor and a child model? <laughs> Kurt's in a band called The Bright Light Social Hour. What else? Um, he was on The Price is Right. Did they record it live? They did not record this song live. Um, Kurt made a beat on his drum machine, which you hear in the song, and they played along to it. How many swimming breaks did they take? I heard 14. The band asked that I take that out of the interview, so we'll never know. Great. Let's hear it. This is Terrified by Sunjin.
Sounds like the war on drugs on drugs. Yeah, different drugs. Yeah, like not cocaine. No, definitely not. Back back to the codeine comment from earlier. That's that's what we meant by that. It feels like it's a a pop song that's just been put through a gooey filter, chopped and screwed, chopped and screwed. I love the thing I love about that song uh, is even from the first time I heard it, there's such a a definite mood, and I really get this feeling. But I I don't fully understand the lyrics, and I don't think it's a failing of the recording or the writer or anything. It's just it's hard for me to latch onto. All I heard was I'm scared, I'm terrified. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really get that feeling. You get that that I don't know. There's like a intense. There's an, in, there's an angelic quality to her voice that that feels almost like a guardian angel type of thing. That's a you know a, maybe like a parent singing a lullaby in a way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's a it's a really amazing how music can do that. Mm-hmm. You don't need to understand every word to really get the feeling that's being described. And then the lyrics are like, once you know the lyrics, it intensifies that that feeling you have, that sense you had of what it's about. Yeah, yeah, it's a really pretty song. Yeah, you just heard "Terrified" by Sun June. It was written by Laura Caldwell and Stephen Salisbury. It was performed by Laura Stephen. Michael Bain, Sarah Schultz, and Justin Harris. It was recorded and mixed by Curtis Rausch at Escondido Studio and mastered by Chris Longwood. If you enjoyed listening to Terrified, you can download it and stream it anywhere and everywhere you listen to music. iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Deezer, Google Play, Napster, The Country of Japan, Your Mom's Radio, Deezer, Your Sister's Diary. Interview, interview, interview. Can you guys introduce yourselves and your band? Hey, I'm Laura. I'm Steven. And we're Sun June. And uh, what's the name of the song you guys wrote for the Song Confessional? Name of our song is Terrified. Yeah. And what is what is your song about? Being away from your child and having it be injured and you feeling helpless and scared on behalf of it. Yeah. Does that sound right? Well, that's the specifics. <laughs> oh, yeah. Gotcha. And a broader note, it's like about... Um, I don't know, being, feeling out of control at times over the well-being of a child, like in, in the long run of your life, knowing that full well, like they're going to grow up, they're going to leave the nest and you're not going to be able to really oversee like every yeah. single thing that they do and make sure that they're okay. Yeah. And, and just, yeah, how love can be scary. Love can be scary. <laughs> Do- did y'all listen to the confession together? For we we didn't listen to it together. Oh, we didn't? Well, we were both at work. <laughs> so we listened to it at the same time, and we decided to both, like, write things down separately. And then we listened to it together. Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that was, a, that was planned, so we didn't step on each other's ideas. Right. One of us could accidentally dominate. 
Yeah, and I have no idea how songwriting processes go for anyone, how you start to formulate an idea, or if you start with, you know, the melody or the lyrics or the chords first, so we both, I think, just tend to think differently sometimes. And then it ends up being uh, combined really well. <laughs> so so you guys r- regularly, like, start independently on things yes. and then come in together? Yeah. Yeah. And so, so for the, no, I think that's really, that's really fascinating. A lot, a lot of bands, you know, they tend to have this approach where sort of one person starts and then the group finishes this out, but it's interesting because you guys also do that mm-hmm. and then come together right. and then the band helps with the arrangement. Oh yeah. You know, we introduced ourselves, but the other members of Sunjun are, uh, Michael Bain, Sarah Schultz and Justin Harris. Yeah. And everybody writes their own parts and helps collaborate. Mm-hmm. I'm just assuming, correct me if I'm wrong, but do, do either of you have children? No. 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 I feel like I have children because I have three nephews who oh. I, if I could be a helicopter, you know, parent, <laughs> <laughs> I would be. <laughs> uh, none of it, nobody in the band has children yet. No. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't have kids, neither does Zach, but I'm curious, you know, like, what was it like relating to this confession Given that you don't have children, like, did it feel very foreign? Did you feel kind of worried or? I think Stephen and I are both really sensitive people. I I don't know. I cry at the news all the time. (laughs) Like, I totally put myself in somebody else's shoe pretty easily. Yeah, I don't have children, but I do have an anxiety problem. So it's pretty easy. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty easy to relate. You get it. (laughs) Pretty pretty easy to relate to any anxiety. And I do. I have anxiety about like just my own family a lot of time so I think it was really easy for me like to understand the point of view even though I never actually gave birth to any of those kids I I care deeply and I am constantly worried that something bad is going to happen and I was just with them recently and their father was like explaining how he had this bad dream about one of them like falling down a manhole <laughs> and oh, he's just like doesn't know what to do and I was, and he's like and I woke up and I go well like maybe you should be <laughs> maybe it's telling you something I don't know <laughs> but yeah it's I don't know you can't fight that feeling sometimes yeah it's not brought on by anything other than wanting to make sure that <laughs> your offspring's like <laughs> gonna survive right mm-hmm. it's genetic well, I thought I thought that she framed it really well, which yeah. was like it's the it's the negative part of a really positive feeling, which is what what you're saying. But but they go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Like that was the thing I really uh, loved about what the confessor said. Have you felt this in your life? That terror? Like, can you think of an example for you where you're like love something or someone so much, and then you like feel that terror of like, oh my god. Uh, yes, I'm remembering something specifically where. My grandmother had passed away, and my sister called to tell me, but she couldn't get it out because she thought I already had found out. So I incorrectly thought that my one of my parents had passed away oh, wow. for like a certain amount of time until I got a call from one of them. And obviously, it was sad that my grandmother passed away, but that's a thing that happens more often, right? So um, it's less tragic. It was less tragic. It's still very sad. Yeah. So tragic. so uh, yeah. Anyway, I hadn't thought about it in a while till he said it. That was definitely a terrifying moment. I mean, I'm just constantly worried about, I don't know, (laughs) whether or not, you know, 
it's it sucks to say because I have three nephews. They're half black, mm-hmm. and they live in South Philly. It's hard to think about, but I know that there are instances where, like, you're worried about cops and you're worried about when they're older, like how they might be perceived in the world, and that sucks. And yeah. uh, I don't know if that relates to the terror of love, but I love them so much that I want them to be like treated equally and yeah. loved and. Yeah, and, and their reality is something not not even just can't control, but like there's a remove from being able to relate to it, which makes it mm. scary. Totally, yeah. mm-hmm. totally. Also, I did drop my nephew what <laughs> into what? his crib, oh, <laughs> but okay. his head hit it really hard, <laughs> and and this was like they were a month old. Um, my sister just had twins, so I was watching them and nannying kind of, and I just, he just, he was really wiggly and he slipped and his head hit it hard and he started crying and I started crying. So I was like, oh my God, I just like messed up this child (laughs) and my sister who was very tough and like, she's just like, he's fine. Is he like, she like went over and she's like, you know, making sure he can look both ways or whatever. She's like, he's you're okay. Like, he's okay. <laughs> Everything's okay. This is definitely a question you guys can be like, next. Mm. Okay. But, uh, but both of you identified as sensitive. Mm. And I think Laura identified I di- me. I identified. <laughs> Sorry to put that on <laughs> Well, I, I guess I, I was going with like sensitive and anxious. Mm. as like ways to identify. Um, how do you feel like that serves you? It doesn't. <laughs> You, well, that's a, that's no, that would be my saying. next part. How, how is it like a like a, a good force and a negative force? <clears throat> yeah, no, it's a good question. I think it's yeah. I definitely think it's good and negative. <laughs> um, it is definitely both of those things. Yeah, like you can be anxious on behalf of people that don't need you to be anxious <laughs> on behalf of them. Uh, yeah, that's, in, that's interesting. Like it, every, the bad side is maybe sometimes you're quickly anxious about things that are totally undeserving yeah you're saying Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah. and it's kind of a way to be selfish sometimes too Mm -hmm. it's like or or you're just like end up coming off as judgmental oh tell me more about that (laughs) (laughs) um you don't get that no i think that no i think that's probably true you mean you mean when you feel anxious about a situation or about someone yeah and you voice your your anxiety uh, i can come off as judgmental it can come if yeah because they're like well i don't see it that way and i understand oh, what you're saying an, and I i'm and i did that recently to somebody and i felt really bad about it oh it's just like oh why am i thinking like that like of course everything is going to be fine yeah but sometimes it's good sometimes it helps you pick up on other people's feelings totally mm-hmm. yeah and like i said you can over you can you can pick up on non-existent feelings but sometimes you're right and that's good it's interesting like hearing you guys talk about collaborating stuff uh with that in mind because yeah it's like sometimes it's a superpower and you're like more in tune and other times it's like stops you from being in the moment and like being really present yeah when you guys are working on this song obviously you're writing independently like what were some things you were kind of like trying to bring out in in this song I think where we started, um, we already were in a place, like a vibe that we were working off of for 
this next record that we're working on, which mm-hmm. is all timeline, Albu- Albuquerque prom, global cooling. <laughs> um, these are the names for our, the vibe. Albuquerque prom. These are the, the themes. This is our thematic like global cooling. <laughs> yeah. <so> okay. <laughs> yeah. And so we've been in this place where we want like. <laughs> Everyone's losing their shit. Yeah. <laughs> Global cooling is so good, especially yeah. right after Albuquerque prom. Yeah. yeah. So that, you know, you're imagine, imagine you're one of the few people remaining on this earth, and you still freezing your ass. Population yeah, decline, yeah. freezing your ass off. You know, yeah. there's still grape fruit punch, mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's you know the extent of maybe your food source. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of great gear out just there. Just jello remains. Yeah, yeah, a lot of great gear. You just live in on yeah. glucose only. Yeah. It's just yeah. straight sugar. Yeah, exactly. So, so you... straight sugar, like maybe a little more retro, you know, 50s, 60s rock and roll, like. Yeah, with 80s drum machines and synths. Exactly. So we were in that place already in our minds. I think we both automatically went to Coldplay based on the confessional itself. We were drawing something from that. Well, she talks about one it. moment. Yeah, that she talks about. You. Yeah. yeah. So, like, even the first little demo <laughs> we put together was called "Fix You Part Two. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Um, we have been listening to a lot of Feist, Bloom, the album from Beach House. Beach House. Thank yeah. you. Who else um, were we? At? Well, uh, so, you know, Laura showed me the chords on the piano and she had a song written, but then I ended up writing a different melody on top of those chords. Mm-hmm. And when I uh, showed her to her, she was like, Do you know the local band Daphne Tunes? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We're like big fans of Daphne we're Tunes. About that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Laura's like, Sounds like you're kind of channeling Santi. The lead singer. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, and his and and I was like, well, a, I'll take that as a compliment, and b, we're not gonna change it. <laughs> <laughs> and I had just like worked on a song with him for his uh, volume two record. His record, yeah. Wait, when did you start calling your music regret pop? <laughs> <laughs> um, the moment we needed to come up with a genre, and and I think it was just based on also like what our first album was about how how the the main kind of thread was a lot of regret mm. so i don't know how much of that remains today <laughs> <laughs> yeah did you take anything out of this experience that you think might influence your songwriting in the future yeah for sure i think w- we all were in agreement after we left um curtis's studio that we were like wow that was so easy and also really fun um like Sarah also really felt strongly that like this was a new way that we could be working moving forward and um yeah we all agreed that it was fun not a sexy topic at all mm-hmm. but it's just so eloquent it's like she's so 
and and nothing like bad happens in the story. Yeah. It's really more of a discussion about feelings than yeah. a story in particular. It's based around an event, mm-hmm. but the event is kind of meaningless to the core of the feeling. Yeah, I do like that. That she's sort of already done the work mm-hmm. for what the meaning is. Yeah, exactly. You know? Not related to your parents or to my parents. Is there a time when you've just really felt the terror of love? Just that, oh my God, I might lose this person longing or that, or like, I can't control whatever that is. You know, I, I think there's two ways to think about what she mm-hmm. said, what the confessor says. One is I'm going to lose these people mm-hmm. as I've known them. And then the other side of it is I can't control these people mm-hmm. and or this feeling. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, have you, is there a time when you've experienced that? I would say the only time I'm like mildly close has got to be with my wife. Yeah. You know, but this is going to sound terrible, (laughs) but I like, I've experienced loss in such genuinely fucked up ways that I am. Well, and really just maybe I can paraphrase real quick. Yeah. I mean, your father died very in a ski accident. And your mother passed away from a long bout battle with cancer. Dad was the worst day of my life. Mom was the worst year plus of my life, yeah. you know. So two very uh, traumatic experiences with death. Yeah. Just to frame what you're about to say yeah, about yeah. you and Monica. Exactly. So I am at this point a fucking stone statue that assumes everything I care about will be taken away from me. So it is like sadly something that I have a lot of armor for. Does it translate to fear specifically? I can't say it does. You say you've never you've never had that feeling with Monica at any point where you're just like, oh man, I love this person so much, and like, even if it's just like a twinkle, it's yeah. It, I would say there's like maybe some worry of what would I do if I lost her. Like, yeah, I definitely have that kind of thought sometimes, but no like specific moment where you remember. No specific moment, no. I have one one memory of this this feeling, and I had this this summer romance with someone in college, and it got more serious than I wanted it to. And at the end of the summer, we were on this road trip and pretty drunk, and she was said something to the effect of, "Well, I know you." can't handle this but i love you and it it actually made me have a panic attack uh i just i just had a panic attack and the panic Mm -hmm. wasn't oh my god she loves me i don't love her it was oh like i love you too you know yeah and in the in the wake of you know losing my dad and just fucking having not worked through anything at all in relation to that it was like just just in that moment of knowing that i loved someone and could lose them just caused just destroyed you panic yeah that was a situation of really emo yeah. puppy love way no i, get I had that. this like if i had met monica three years earlier than i did i i would probably have more of that i know you really well and I know your relationship with her really well. Mm-hmm. You're definitely not an emotionally unavailable human being. Oh, no. Do you think that there's a way that uh, maybe that that fear of that loss is just more integrated into who you are? Yeah, I, I think prob- probably so. And I, my view on emotions has evolved 
in a kind of weird way is that like like you said I'm, I'm not emotionally unavailable I do wear my heart on my sleeve I think feeling emotion is so important but at the same time I don't give emotions as much credit as most people do like happiness is not as significant as a lot of people think sadness is not as significant as a lot of people think fear anger all those things are like we choose to give them an insane amount of credit in the moment and when your people are uncontrollably happy i don't really feel that either uncontrollable sadness i used to feel i don't anymore you know and and fear and anxiety and anger and coping and everything else uh, I've become so much more analytical with those emotions and I let myself feel them, but I don't ever let them control me or take over in any way. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It, it makes sense to me. Yeah. This is maybe one of those topics or points that people with different levels of experience or age, just age mm-hmm. will relate to really differently. Yeah. Because, because I know what you're saying in, I think a limited way. I think, it, and it sounds a bit nihilistic, but oh, I don't hear it that way at all. Yeah, I oh, think it could. Opposite. Well, I think it could be heard that way. Absolutely, I but agree, I agree right? that I think it's complete opposite. I think that I'm, you know, I've been turned online, yeah. in in like the past couple of years or few years of my life. Maybe it's like I I understand things on a level that I never even realized existed. Maybe, yeah. And, and by understand things, I mean about myself. I don't really mean about the world or about other people or mm-hmm. that I am like this all knowing guru. I, I just mean, understand things about why I feel the way I feel about things and all of my preconceived notions that force me to what I think is have a thought. It's like, I am now able to step back and realize all of those things causing that thought and be able to think, is that thought even real? Is that feeling even real or is that just a reaction to all of my pre-programming? I'm going to quote a philosopher now, so I officially have to take a shot or yeah. we can just end the interview. <laughs> but but Nietzsche talks about good nihilism and bad nihilism. And bad nihilism is just following the beliefs of the day without questioning them. Mm-hmm. Because according to him, that's not thinking through anything you're doing. And so... That's bad nihilism because you're just a sheep mm-hmm. following. And and specifically, he's talking about like Judeo-Christian values. But setting that aside, that's bad nihilism. And good nihilism is realizing that there's nothing at the core of anything besides your own will and your experience, which I think is in a little yeah, bit yeah, what you're what saying. I'm, yeah, I think that's exactly and I, what I'm That's saying. why I don't hear it as like a bad nihilism thing. Yeah. You know, I think one, one thing that... that my life has definitely made me feel really certain of is like our relationships are everything and they're, you can't control them and keep them around, you know? So with that in mind, it's like what you sort of have at the end of the day is like just knowing that you're trying to do right Mm -hmm. in, in those situations as much as you can. Right. Exactly. And like, that's, that's it. (laughs) My current philosophy is, we all just want to eat good food with people we care about and surround yourself by the people you care about as much as possible and eat the best food you possibly Fucking. can. And your your income does not come into that philosophy, whether you're the richest fucking person in the world yeah. or you're the poorest person in the world. That's, it's the same goals at the end of the day that's going to make you feel happy and fulfilled. Just put that on a fucking bleach white sweatshirt. Call me up, Hallmark. And yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> 
The theme song you heard at the top was written by me, Walker Lukens. It was performed by myself, Zach Catanzaro, James Wesley Essery. It was engineered and mixed by Grant Epley. Song Confessional is produced by myself, Walker Lukens, Aaron Blackerby, Rylan Kettery, Jim Eno, Mike Lee, and our friends at KUTX. And apologies to Matt Riley. It is I who has your missing socks. 